Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Cap Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. Welcome back to Field Notes, and we begin John chapter 8 this week, and a very familiar story, and the title of the lesson is Convicted But Not Condemned. John chapter 8, verse number 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest and even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now let's be frank and honest with each other. I must confess to you that I have been convicted of my sins. The Bible shows me that I am a sinner, that I have offended the holy God of Israel, that my transgressions make it impossible for me to come to Him. Do you relate to that? Is that true for you? You see, the law of Moses was given to show us our sins. No one could ever keep the law because sin is so prevalent. So keeping the Ten Commandments, well, it can't save us because no one can keep the Ten Commandments. And yet John, uh, James 2.10 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all of it. And that's why Jesus came. He came not to tell us, it's all right, they're there, you do what you want and I'll forgive you anyway. No, he came to convict us of our sins, just as the law does, to show us where we're wrong, but to offer also freedom, freedom from condemnation, freedom from hell, and freedom to heaven. So have you been set free? Now we're going to look at this passage in our podcast today and this story of the woman caught in adultery, but as we read it, as I try to explain this story, I want you to ask yourself, am I convicted? Have I been set free? You see, lies and hypocrisy and A brilliant plan all go horribly wrong here for the scribes and Pharisees. And we'll see how Jesus reacts. 
So let's look at this story and go back over it verse by verse and comment on it. And then I want to give you a few applications so you can take away with you after we're done. Verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Now you go back in John 7.53 after this incredible time of teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles. It says every man went unto his own house. But here we see Jesus was not invited to a single home. He had to go and sleep in the mountain. Matthew 8.20, Jesus says, The foxes have holes, the birds have the air, have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I think that's amazing. Verse 2, And early in the morning he came again to the temple. So he just, he went out and slept in the mountains, and he came back the next morning and starts teaching again. It says, And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. He's been rejected. He's hated. And yet he returns to doing what he's supposed to do, teach the Word of God. And I ask us, will we do what we're supposed to do despite the circumstance, regardless of the outcome, whether anyone likes us or not? Will we continue doing what we're called to do? Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken adultery. And when they had her in the midst, when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken adultery in the very act. And so these men here, they are out to get Jesus. They want to make a public example of him. They have tried before, very unsuccessfully, to trap him with question after question about the law and tradition. And each time he's completely turned around their accusations. They never learn. I want you to notice who's here. The scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees. This is the only time in John's Gospel that the scribes are mentioned. The scribes, their job was to copy the law of God, to write the copies of the Torah that would be used in the synagogue. They knew the Scripture better than anyone else because they had written it with their hands. That's going to become very important later on in the story. But I want you to notice who was not there. We have Jesus We have the scribes and the Pharisees. We have the woman caught in adultery. But apparently we don't have the man who committed adultery. I mean, it takes two to tango, right? Where's the man who was caught in adultery? And then I have this question in my mind. What were these men doing that they caught these people in the very act? How did they know where these people were? Hmm. Verse 5. Now Moses, in the law, commands us that such should be stoned. But what say thou, sayest thou? This they said to tempt him, that he, they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote in the ground, as though he didn't hear him. So these men reference the scriptures. Moses, in the law, says we have to stone this woman. But they forget the full weight of the scriptures, because in Leviticus 20.10 it says, The man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be surely put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22 If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. So the law was very clear that adultery was a crime worthy of death. Oh, that we thought that way today. Perhaps we'd have far fewer broken families. 
But these men, they only bring the woman. Why didn't they bring the man caught in adultery? Were they cowards? Or perhaps was one of them the man? Perhaps one of them decided to give up his mistress in an attempt to destroy Jesus. So they're trying to trap Jesus. Because if he says stone her, well, he's going against everything he's been teaching about when it comes to mercy and forgiveness. Because he says in Luke 9.56, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So if he says stone her, he's going against his teaching. If he says release her, well, then he's breaking the law of Moses, which he said he's not come to do. Because Matthew 5.17, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So they've got him. No matter how he answers them, he is wrong. They're going to be able to condemn him. Well, either you're going against your own teachings or you're breaking the law. But there's another reason. If Jesus does say stone her, and they expect him to say so, then they can go to the authorities. They can go to Rome, and they can level charges against Jesus and have him arrested. You see, Rome has taken away the death penalty from the Jews. They took it away from the Jews right about the same time Jesus was born. You see, Genesis 49.10, the great prophecy, Joseph, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be the great prophecy of the Messiah. That the power of Israel, the power of governing themselves, will not depart from Israel until Shiloh, the Messiah, has come. And the same time Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we see historical records of Pharisees and Sadducees and uh, Jewish council members and, and elders of Israel walking through the streets of Jerusalem, tearing their clothes, putting ashes on their heads, and crying, the scepter, the scepter has departed from Israel, and Shiloh hasn't come. They fully knew that when the, the power to enact the death penalty, which is the greatest power of the government, when that was taken away from them, the scriptures they believed promised them that the Messiah would come. Well, he did. They just didn't recognize him. And so, by getting Jesus to say, stone her, they could go to Rome and say, you don't allow us to kill, and yet this man commanded us to kill this woman. You don't allow us to do the death penalty on our people. We have to bring our people to you to get the death penalty. That's why Jesus was taken before Herod, before Pilate. That's why he had to have Roman guards crucify him, because the Jews couldn't. They were forbidden by Roman law. So they're, they're, there's three things they're trying to do here. They're trying to trap him with his own words. They're trying to trap him with the law. And they're trying to trap him with the Roman law. And yet, what did Jesus do? He bent down, and with his finger, he writes in the dirt, as though he not, had not heard them at all. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, they start berating him. They keep shouting at him. He's acting like he's not hearing. And it says, when they continued asking him, verse 7, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So he threw their sinfulness right in their own faces. Their approach was 
sinful in and of itself. And they, he threw that right back in them. How dare, how dare they try to destroy this woman when they were guilty of so much themselves? How dare they? You see, the Pharisees were guilty of so much more than just adultery. And most of them were guilty of that as well. We read the historical uh, record of Josephus, the historian around the time of the destruction of the temple. And he writes that when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, thousands of idols were removed from the very temple of God, the Jewish temple, Herod's temple, the temple Jesus was teaching in. As he's teaching, there are idols inside the house of God that the priests would go in and bow before and worship false idols in the house of God. And yet they dare stand out here in the outer court and accuse Jesus of breaking the law. These men are guilty of far more than adultery or lies. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the same judgment that you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you mete it out, it will be measured to you again. Why do you behold the moat, the little speck, the little splinter in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam, the two-by-four, sticking out of your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull that moat out of your eye, and behold, there's a beam in your own eye, you hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote from thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet, and turn again and rend you. What is Jesus telling us? Don't throw that first stone unless you are willing to be judged of the same thing that none of those men were able to pick up a stone and cast it to that woman tells me they were all guilty of adultery or worse. They were all guilty. Verse 8, And he stooped down again and wrote on the ground. He, stand, he, stays, he stoops down and writes, and, and, and uh, they keep berating him. He finally stands up and says, If you're without sin, you can cast the first stone. Then he sits back down on the ground, stoops back down, and starts writing on the ground again. That's it. That's all it says. What did he write? Well, we don't know. We don't know what he writes. Here's what I think. I think perhaps he was writing the very scripture they were misquoting. Perhaps he was stooping down on the ground and writing out Leviticus 20 and 10 or Deuteronomy 22:22, Or perhaps, being Jesus... He was writing the name of the man who was standing right in front of him, who all of the Pharisees knew, who was one of them, the very man who was caught in adultery with this woman. Verse 9, And when they which had heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Conscience sinks in, and slowly, quietly, every man slinks away. They have no reply for what Jesus said and had written. They thought he had him trapped. He's going to have to say stoner or don't, right? 
And either one, we got him. And if he does say stoner, then we can go to Rome and we can get him arrested and executed ourselves. They've got him trapped. And yet Jesus, he does what no other man can do. He finds another option. And he finds a way to show them their sin. And in the course of it, save this woman's life. And that's the way we are when we're confronted by our own sins, folks. Let's be honest. We have no excuse. We have no remedy. Each one of us has sinned. Each one of us has committed offenses against the Holy God of Israel. Each one of us is guilty. And we avoid church. We don't read the Word of God. We don't pray. We don't fellowship with people who seem to be living for God because we don't want to be confronted. We want to live in what I like to term intentional ignorance. So long as I don't pay attention to it, it doesn't really exist. Well, that doesn't work. You have to face it. You have to face the fact that you have sinned. And Jesus forces these men to face that right now. And so we have no excuse, we have no remedy, but when we find ourselves accused and there's no way out, when we find ourselves in front of a maddening crowd and there's no way to escape, we do find this, Jesus stays the whole time and offers us grace. Verse 10, when Jesus lifted himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And she said, no, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Her accusers are gone. She can't be condemned. But I want you to know this. Jesus does not let her off the hook. He does not, he does not say, Oh, that's good. That's fine. You're, you're safe and, and it's okay. He doesn't accept her sin. You see, a lot of folks, they want Jesus to accept their sin. They want Jesus to say, oh, you're, you're, it's okay. I know your lifestyle is against my word, but it's okay. I accept you. And you can continue doing what you're doing because I love you. And you're going to go to heaven anyway. But that's not the truth, folks. That's not the truth. This woman was caught in adultery. She was wrong. And Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to tell you you're going to die. I'm not going to send you straight to hell. I'm not condemning you. But I am telling you this. Leave this place and don't do it again. Repent. Turn around. The sentence in Greek literally means, I'm not passing sentence on you. So stop this life of sin. I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a pardon and an opportunity to turn your life around. And that's what the Lord offers all of us, an opportunity to turn our life around. And so, that's our story. But let's, let's take just a moment. i got four quick applications I want to give you, and we'll be done with our study today. And here they are. Number one, first takeaway from this lesson today. Number one, we have to rightly interpret the Bible. Rightly interpret the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word truth. Listen, we cannot pick and choose what we want to believe. The whole of the book is inspired. All of the Bible is inerrant. All of it is infallible. All of it is profitable. All of it is for our good. 
2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So when we come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, we must accept all of what he says, not just the things we like. You know, Thomas Jefferson, our third president, famously put together a version of the Bible that he liked. And basically all he did was he took a Bible and he cut out all the verses he didn't like. And the Jefferson Bible, the original still, I believe, on display at his home in Virginia. The Jefferson Bible is very light because he cut out so much. If I, if I did that, my Bible would probably be 20, 30 pages thick because my flesh is offended by nearly every word in this book. And yet, it is the Word of God. And though my flesh be offended, my spirit says, yes, Lord. And we have to accept the Word of God for what it is. Otherwise, we have no hope. We can't say, well, the woman caught in adultery should be stoned, but the man will let him go. You can't do that. You have to accept the whole of it, whether you like it or whether you don't. Number two, we have to rely wholly on just the grace of God to save us. Just as this woman had no hope, no chance, no situation could have been more dire for her, so our situation is without Jesus. Jesus did not come to condemn. The law already did that. The law already condemned us. He came to save us. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Number three, we're not to point the finger of accusation unless we're willing to undergo the same scrutiny. God is the judge, not man. Our job is to merely point out what the Scripture really says and not what we want it to say. Again, Scripture never tells us, do not judge. It says, do not judge unless you're willing to be judged yourself of the same thing. That's what Matthew 7 clearly says. Do not judge unless you're willing to be judged with the same judgment. That's why we're supposed to lead clean lives. That's why we're supposed to be growing in our sanctification so that we can become more and more like Jesus mature, holy, as much as can be done in this flesh so that we have the moral right to look at folks and say, this is what the Bible says. And according to the Bible, what's going on in your life, this thing or that thing, whatever it is, it's sin. And you need God's forgiveness. Because if we don't need God's forgiveness for our sins, then why did Jesus die? And then finally, though we're not condemned, We must not use the grace of God as a license to sin. We are commanded to live holy lives. We are commanded to obey the word. Romans 6.1 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 1 Peter 1.14 As obedient children, do not fashion yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy. For I am holy. Jesus didn't say to the woman, you're, you're forgiven. No, he didn't. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now go. Go and show me that you actually have accepted what I said. Because I'm not going to save your soul if you have no intention of living a different life. If you have no intention of becoming the person God's called you, if you have absolutely no intention, all you want to do is buy that life insurance 
buy that fire insurance. That's not going to happen. Repentance. Jesus didn't say the angels rejoice when somebody gets saved. It says the angels rejoice when somebody gets when somebody repents. That's when the angels rejoice. Repentance, a turnaround. That's what we're called to do. And I end you. I end this podcast with this statement. I am so glad that God convicted me of my sins because now I know what I'm to do. But I am so very, very glad that I can't do anything about my sin. Only Jesus can, and he has. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Dave Mason. Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the Donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.